to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Raise your hand. Make sure you get one. Anybody need a Bible? We'll make, we want have, you want to have the Word of God in your lap. You don't want me to read it to you. You want to read it for yourself. So Ephesians chapter 6, and stand with me once you're there. Ephesians chapter 6. And man, am I excited to share what the Lord showed me this week through this passage. It has been incredible, and I believe that you will be incredibly blessed as well, and it very well may be life-transforming for you as it was for me. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the, brother, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to, with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you that you have something incredible to share with us today. Life transforming. Something that will help us in every aspect of our lives. We know that a message like this can't come forth without some sort of spiritual warfare. We bind the enemy in Jesus' name here today, Father. We ask you to come and speak directly to every individual today, God. You want to set us free. You want to give us the formula for victory here today. And you've given it to us in your word. And so we trust in it by faith today. We're believing that you're going to do incredible things in our lives, Lord. So Come now by your spirit, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, we're coming to the end of our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians today. How many of you guys have gone through the whole Regs to Riches series with us? Has anybody hit the whole thing? Man, it's been incredible. Listen, if you missed anything, you can always go to our website, www.ccolumbia.org, and you can pick up the sermons uh, from the series there. You can, you can uh, 
sign up for our podcast through Google Play or iTunes, and you can check, check it out there. But listen, it's worth the time. I know for me, this has been life-transforming for me going through this book. You know, I, I, we understand what we have in Christ to some degree, but sometimes we need reminded of the riches that we've been given present tense today that we can live in. And, and that's why I'm so encouraged by this book. It's been so rich for me to be reminded of what Christ has given us. And I trust that you have been as blessed as I have been because God's word is incredible and it never returns void. And the next book will be life-transforming if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally because his word is uh, specific to you in every moment of your life. We will be in the book of Philippians uh, next Sunday, prayerfully, hopefully, Lord willing, if we finish this today. So um, we've been talking about the walk of the believer. We, the first three chapters of Ephesians, we talk about the worth of the believer. We've been talking about chapters 4 through 6. We're talking about the walk of the believer. And today we come to what is known as the, the walk of victory. Paul is instructing us here today in these verses on how to walk victoriously. How to walk victoriously. That's the title of my message this morning. The, the outline is very simple. The outline is this, in chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. Uh, verse 10, we find if we want to walk victoriously, we must be strong in the Lord. We must be strong in the Lord. Secondly, if we want to walk victoriously, we must be properly clothed, verses 11 through 17. What we find there in that, that particular chap, uh, verses, we find that there are four demonic types that we have to war against, and also six aspects of the armor that we need to be clothed with. Which brings us to our third point. To walk victoriously means you must also uh, be committed to prayer. You must be committed to prayer. And then we'll consider five things regarding prayer there. We begin by considering what it means to be strong in the Lord. Look at verse 10 with me again. Finally. Now, you know what that means when a pastor Get in his sermon at some point gets to the word finally, you know what that means, right? He has at least 20 minutes left, at least. So Paul doesn't disappoint us in this. He, he goes another 14 verses after saying finally. So there you have it. He is, he is the, the guide for every pastor that will say that word finally. But finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. As is said by many before, most times, the final words that somebody says are the most important ones. Most times you find that the last words of somebody are some of the most important words that they want you to understand. And I believe that is the case with the Apostle Paul here. I believe that he wants us to understand something, and he, he is saved, I, 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 I clichély say, the best for last. Because he wants you to understand how to be victorious in this life. Because you are. Present tense, you already are. You may not know it. He wants you to understand how to be victorious. Because Jesus Christ died for you. He spilt his blood for you so that you can be victorious in this life. Amen? He wants to give you victory, and we will see why we need that victory. Paul tells us here that we are very specific instructions regarding this spiritual battle that we face, that we are in, in a spiritual battle, and he tells us to be strong. 
to be strong. In what? In yourself? No. But that's what we do, right? We try and muster up strength in ourselves to fight a battle that we cannot win in ourselves. You understand? Paul says, be strong in the Lord. If you want to be successful in your walk, victorious in your walk with the Lord, you have to be strong in him. The, the strength that you must rely on is his strength and his might, not your own. If you want a sure fail way to fail, trust yourself. But if you want to walk in victory, you must be strong in the Lord, in his strength and his might. What does Paul mean to be strong in the Lord? What does that mean? That means this, to be completely dependent upon his strength and his might. But that's the problem. It requires 100% surrender, not 90%, not 95%, not 99%, 100% of surrender of saying, I cannot do this I am going to rely on your strength and your might. You have to be completely dependent upon Jesus. Contrary to popular belief, we can't just try harder to be victorious in the battle we face because it's not a physical battle but a spiritual battle. So we need spiritual strength and might. You understand? You don't have the strength and the might within you in your natural self to be able to battle the things that you have to battle on a moment-by-moment -moment basis in the world. You don't have it. I'm sorry to say that. You have zero capacity to fight this battle on your own. Zero. But you try, and I try, and we fail. And sometimes we find what we consider to be victory, but it's not victory at all, according to the Lord, because it wasn't one in his might and his power. It was one in our own might and our own power. Jesus Christ says, listen, if you want true victory in your life, if you want true, you know, release, freedom, whatever it is that you lack today, you must be strong in him, not in yourself. You have to be strong in him. And when we are strong in him, my Bible says that we are more than conquerors in him. When we are strong in Jesus Christ, we can win the battle because he's already won the battle, you see. If we're strong in Christ, then we, the enemy has no victory over us. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Listen, Jesus is so strong that there isn't a battle that he can't win. Thus, if I am strong in him, then there is a battle that I can't win. There is no battle that I can't win. You understand? Not because of me, but because of him. There is no battle. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Listen, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand, with my righteous right hand. These are promises to you and I that God will strengthen you if you depend on him. He will help you if you come to him. He will enable you. He will hold, uphold you through the cross of Jesus Christ, his righteous right hand. Listen, folks. If you want to be victorious in your walk, and you can be, 
You have to be strong in the Lord. You have to rely on the strength of Jesus Christ and not yourself ever. Secondly, Paul wants to share with us that not only if we want to walk victoriously must we be strong in the Lord, but we also must be properly clothed. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the the schemes of the devil. And then down to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. I remember one time we were doing... Uh, uh, just a little worship night here at the church. And I remember Joyce and Fred were sitting right over there, and, and we were, I was sharing something. I, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but it had to do with this idea of spiritual warfare. And I remember Joyce saying in this moment, like a, there is this, this, this moment of like we needed to hear something from the Lord. And, and the Lord spoke through Joyce so, and I'm glad you're here this morning, because the Lord spoke through you so clearly when you said, we must stand. And that is, he's not calling you to battle, folks. He's calling you to stand, to stand firm in Christ. You see, we don't battle the battle. He battles the battle. We simply stand and in the way that he calls us to stand, and we find victory. And I remember When I heard those words, I thought, oh, Lord, let us stand in you. And Joyce is one of the things that she says oftentimes. Let's stand in the Lord. Stand on the word. We need to stand. We don't battle. We stand. That is how we battle is by standing. Uh, There are those people in the world that are off into the world seeking out spiritual forces, rulers of darkness, principalities, calling them out, trying to battle them. Listen, that is a stupid idea. That is ridiculously stupid. Nowhere do you ever see in Scripture Jesus call us to do that, number one. That is a battle of going out in your own strength. Yes, we have might and power in the name of Jesus. Of course we do. But it's not something that we go out and fight in. Christ fights for us. We allow him to fight the battle. And trust me, you are in a battle. Now, you've heard it said before that we must dress for the occasion, right? We have to dress for the occasion. Well, my normal everyday attire is, you know, shorts, a t-shirt, tennis shoes. That's what I wear. That's how I dress. But, however, when when I'm going to go to a funeral, I'm probably not going to wear my normal attire. Unless I'm going to Peter Miller's funeral, then I'm going to because that's how Peter Miller rolls. And that's, by the way, if you're going to come to my funeral, that's the way I roll too. So come on in in shorts. Don't get monkeyed up. Don't do that for me because I like to be comfortable. That's what Peter and I have in common. I love that guy. I love that. <laughs> anyway, we don't even get into that. But listen, listen, there are occasions that your normal dress is not appropriate. There are occasions that you find yourself in life that if you show up in your normal attire, you are going to be sorely out of place. Why do we feel that way physically and not spiritually? Why do we feel like there are occasions in which we ought to be properly dressed and yet we try and fight a spiritual battle in natural clothing? Why do we do that? Don't do that. Paul's saying, don't do that. You have been given proper clothing to wear in the battle that you are engaged in on a daily basis. 
Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. God has given you special clothing to wear. He has called you to put it on. Now, that word there would insinuate to some that they take it off at some point. That, we're, that we, we are just kind of clothing ourselves and unclothing ourselves on a, on a continual basis. No, we are not. It's an imperative command that is continual. That means put on and leave on forever. Put on and leave on forever. It is imperative that you do that. Why? Because you're in a battle. Could you imagine showing up to the front lines, you know, in your normal everyday clothing, not prepared for that in which you will have to engage in? You will be miserable. And some of us are miserable today because we are not walking in the clothing. We are not properly clothed, and the battle will not wait up for you. You understand that? The moment you open your eyes there is a battle going on. The moment you lay your head down on the pillow, there is a battle going on. You see, the battle never ceases. It's always going. And therefore, we can't afford to t ever take off our armor. We can't afford to ever take off our armor. We need to be properly clothed and continually uh, clothed if we are going to be able, listen, to stand against the schemes of the devil and to withstand the evil day. You understand, the, the, the clothing that God has given us, the armor in which we are given, is it helps us to, 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 to stand in the fight that we're in. The armor literally helps us to hold our ground. The idea of, you know, this, this idea of standing carries the idea of resisting. The Bible says resist the devil and what? He'll flee. In other words, you might want to write this down, God isn't going to ever take you out of the battle. You understand that. Because he give, he, he's given you armor to endure the battle. You understand. He has clothed you in a way that you can withstand, that you can resist the enemy and he'll flee. He is not going to take you out of the battle. And isn't that what we pray for? Lord, the battle is so fierce. Will you just remove me from the battle, Lord? I just need to be removed from this battle right here. And the Lord says, I will not remove you because I've already given you victory in the battle. We're not trying to gain victory. He's saying, stand and you have victory. Withstand and you will have victory. But I'm not going to remove you from the situation. And how many of you have found that true, that when, when you stand firm in your faith, armored up and say, I will not accept this, I am not going to allow this to happen, and you buck up against the devil, what happens is he gives you victory. It's true. The problem is we don't trust God enough to do it. I just want out of it. I don't like the way that it makes me feel. Listen, it strengthens you. God, whatever it is that he allows in your life, it is not for the purpose of your devouring, but the purpose of your strengthening. You understand? He's a good dad. He is going to put you in certain situations to strengthen you, to help you to see that he's with you. And what I found is the more that I trust the Lord, the bigger the task seems, the bigger the war becomes. And I think like, whoa, 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 I thought it would get easier. It never gets easier. But it does get easier to trust him because you've seen it. He is, he is, 
been faithful to you over and over and over again. And so it doesn't matter what battle you might be facing today. Look backwards. How faithful has he been to you? He's been faithful. He's given you the armor. He said if you stand, you will be able to withstand. If you resist, the devil will flee. There is an end to the battle. The victory is yours for sure. Why? Because the Lord battles for us. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. You know when this was said? This was said when the children of Israel were backed up against the Red Sea. And and the Egyptians were coming at them. And they're thinking, Moses, why did you lead us out here? Why did, you, why did you allow us to be in this situation? Now we're going to die here. And he said, you stand back and you be silent. And you watch and see what the Lord does. Is he the same God yesterday, today, and forever? Amen, he is. Yes, he is. So therefore, you too can say the same thing. The Lord fights your battles. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 20. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Listen, you can't lose. You can't lose. What you can do is lose if you don't trust the Lord. If you're not resisting, if you're not armored up, if you're not properly clothed, then you will lose. But God's given you victory. You don't have to lose. He has given you the ability not to lose. Now, that victory looks differently in people's lives. It doesn't mean that there won't be pain involved. You remember the children of Israel as they went into the promised land. There was pain involved in that. There were people that were lost. There were people that died as they went into the promised land. I'm not saying you won't have wounds. What I'm telling you is that you will have victory if you trust the Lord. You will have victory if you trust the Lord. So what does it mean to put on? What does it mean how do we put on this armor? If, if, if it's a continual thing, then how do we do it? I'm glad you asked because Romans chapter 13, verse 14 tells us how we do it. It says this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about the armor of light there in that verse. And that we, we receive that armor of light, that the whole armor of God, same idea, by doing what? By putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us in, in Galatians Verse three, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 27, he reminds us that for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. The, the moment that you and I are saved, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we are already properly clothed. You understand? You're not, you don't get this armor by trying harder, by looking for it somewhere. It's already on you. You just don't realize it. How do we recognize, how do we, how do we receive the, the armor? How do we, it's by faith, just like your salvation. You realize that you have it already. You've been given it through Christ. He's the armor, you see. He's the armor that we are clothed in. The Bible tells us that we're, we've put on Christ at the moment of salvation. There is no special ceremony for us to put on the armor of God. We have it at salvation, and sadly, many, many people don't realize it. 
They're trying to put it on piece by piece. When collectively you have it 100%, all you have to do is acknowledge it. I have the helmet of salvation. I have the belt of truth. I have the breastplate of righteousness. I have feet fit for the gospel of peace. I have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I have these things already because I'm in Christ. And I've put on Christ, and he is every one of those things, you see. We're not trying to gain the armor. You already have the armor. You just need to recognize it. The important question comes, why do we need to be properly clothed? Verse 12 tells us, because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Oftentimes, we view our enemy as flesh and blood, but he is not flesh and blood. You understand that. You're not battling a person ever. You're never battling a person. It's always a spiritual situation. You know why? Because at the fall of mankind, it, everything became spiritual. What do I mean? You know your health problems? That was a result of the fall of mankind. You understand the spiritual warfare that you affect, the desires that are in you that James talks about in James chapter 114, that he says that you're enticed with. You know where those desires came from? The fall. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing in life because pre-fall, everything was perfect. There were no issues. Uh, there was no spiritual warfare. But what happened was, at the moment in which the fall of mankind came, everything changed. Everything became a spiritual issue. Everything. That means the relationship that you're in that's not working out, it's a spiritual issue. It's not a physical issue. You're trying to fight it with a physical means, but it's a spiritual issue. You know, your health problem, yeah, it's a result of the fall, but it's a spiritual issue. How do I battle these things? With a spiritual remedy with a spiritual remedy, not with a physical means. We oftentimes, our first step is in a spiritual battle is to a physical means, and it, it, it can't ever help you. You understand? Now, don't misunderstand me. We don't not go to doctors when we have problems because God can solve spiritual problems with physical people, and he does oftentimes. We see it in the Bible. People perform miracles. They did all kinds of things. That's not what I'm saying, but what we have to understand is recognize the source of the battle in which we're in. And when we recognize the source, then we understand the source of the victory. So we run to Jesus, and we ask Jesus, how do I deal with this spiritual problem in my life? How do I, how do I deal with this health issue, this relationship issue, this financial issue? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the problem is. I go to Jesus first, and I say, how do I handle the situation, and then you let him lead you. You allow him to be Lord and lead you along the way. Everything we deal with is spiritual. And in fact, Paul mentions four specific types of demons that we wrestle with aside from Satan. Satan is a physical being. He is real. And I know that, that, that there's at least 60% of people who call themselves Christians that don't believe that. But let me let you in on the news. He's real. How do we know? Because the Bible says so. Well, oh, you mean you read that thing literally? Yes, I do. And if you don't read it literally, then I'm sorry. How can you even say that you're saved? How can you even say that your sins are forgiven? At which point do you figure out what is literal and what is not? I love the, the counsel of Pastor Chuck. 
He said, listen, read the Bible literally. And this is his counsel. When the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Let the Bible say what it says. Don't try and explain it in human terms. This is a supernatural book given to us in a supernatural way. And you think you're going to explain it in a physical word? No. Let the word say what it says. Let scripture interpret scripture. You see, the Bible talks about Satan, that he's a real being. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. How can you see a, you know, symbolic presence of evil fall like lightning if he wasn't literal? You know, Isaiah uh, chapter 14 tells us that Satan, when when people view him at one point, they're going to say, you're the one that shaked the foundation of the world. If he wasn't literal, then in just a symbolic presence of evil, then, then how could we? And by the way, he, Isaiah calls him the man in that verse. He's literal, but he's a person. He, he's, a, he's a being. He, he, he exists, yes, but he is not God, and he is not God's equal. He has been created, you understand. There, there is so much power the enemy has over people who think that he is the equal of God. He is not the equal of God. And I remember when I came to that place in my life of realizing that, I remember the diminishing power of the enemy over my life. Somebody here today needs to understand that the enemy is not the equal to God. He is not. He is a created being. He is so beneath God that in God's presence, he looks like a whimpering baby. You understand? We have no fear of the enemy because, not because of who we are, but because of who we serve, because of Jesus Christ. There's four specific demons. Now, they're, they're, Satan is not omnipresent either. He can't be everywhere at once. It's not like, oh, Satan's doing this to me. Satan's doing that to me. No. But remember, a third of the angels fell with Satan, right? So I don't know how many angels that was, but what I do know is that there's two angels in heaven that outweigh the, the one angel that may be against you. So there's two good angels to one bad angel, right? So you got the math. So there you go. You, you're, you're covered is my point. But, but here's the thing is, Satan has minions, and they're at work in the world. And Paul describes four specific ways that these minions are at work in the world. First, he says that there are rulers, or in the King James, New King James Version, it's principalities. That word literally means, listen, areas or regions. Areas or regions. W- what is he saying? He is describing a type of demon that has been assigned to specific places. And oftentimes, when you go to those specific places, you can feel the darkness. You ever been to New Orleans? Every Christian that I know that goes through New Orleans says there is just this spiritual heaviness there. You ever been to Las Vegas? There is just this spiritual heaviness there. I I remember one pastor telling me that his wife, as he was going, they were over in Jerusalem, and when they uh, when you walk the Via Della Rosa, you go into what is known as the Muslim quarters. And ap- apparently when his wife got into the Muslim quarters, she literally grabbed him and said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And she got on the other side of the Muslim quarter into the Jewish quarter, and all of a sudden that oppression was gone. Don't think for a second that this isn't real, that there aren't rulers and principalities that are assigned to specific regions that are over those regions to wreak havoc and to oppress and possess people in those regions. It is, it is true. And it happens, and you can sense that if your eyes are open to it. Most of us are too afraid to think about 
you know, the, the spiritual realm. But let me tell you something. That is a deception from the enemy. There is no fear in the Lord. We have no fear of anything other than the Lord, right? Created being versus a non-created entity of all-powerful, all-majestic. The only one we fear is God. And if you have fear and it's crippling you because of the spiritual realm, then you need to get your eyes on Jesus because he's bigger. He's much bigger. Secondly, it says here, second, that we are dealing with authorities. This carries the idea of demonic control against the authorities. The, it, literally, there, there is demons that are assigned to certain authorities over human beings, over certain people, and they have the ability to control them. We call it demon possession. In a, and, and so demons can possess people. They can overtake them. They can overpower them, and then they can use them as vessels to do whatever. It's in the Bible. Oh, but that was written 2,000 years ago. Of course, that doesn't happen today. Oh, yeah, yeah, the whole spiritual realm changed because the United States was formed, and, you know, we just don't believe in those things, so it all changed for us, right? Wrong. It happens. Listen, it happens, and I'm not saying that it happens all the time. I'm saying that it happens more than you think, and I'm saying most Christians don't even give it a thought when, they ha when something's going on. Their child's in an epileptic seizure or, you know, there's some real serious rebellion going on in your house and you're thinking, like, what, what's going on here? Perhaps, I don't know, maybe it's a spiritual warfare, maybe it's a demonic possession or oppression. Could that happen? It happened in the New Testament. Why can't it happen now? Jesus died after, uh, before these letters were written, and they were dealing with it, why wouldn't we be dealing with it? We are Acts 29, folks. It happened in, in the first 28 chapters of Acts. It's going to happen in Acts 29, and it's happening, and we're just not acknowledging it. Not only can, uh, now, now here's what we have to understand is, again, you know, and there are various different teachings on this, but can a Christian be demon-possessed? The answer is no. Absolutely not. Emphatically, no. Why? Because the Bible says so. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. What accord has Christ with Belial? Who is Satan? Beal, Belial. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What, what Paul is telling us is that Christ and the enemy can't coexist in the same person. They cannot. Either Jesus is Lord or he is not. A demon possession can't happen in a believer. Not only that, but John writes in 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So you think for a second <laughs> that the Holy Spirit's going to allow a demon to come in and take, take residence in your life as you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? No. Jesus said it like this, a house cannot be divided. A house cannot be divided lest it fall. You can't be demon-possessed. Now, what you can be as a believer is demon-oppressed. You can be demon-oppressed. What does that mean? That means that the enemy can come at you like he did Job. He didn't possess him, but he oppressed him, man. He took away, took away his family, right? He killed his kids. He killed his wife. He gave him boils. He basically took every human relationship that the guy had away from him to where it was just him and the Lord. You know, maybe you're here today and you're experiencing oppression and you don't even know it. 
you're experiencing some kind of demon oppression that you, 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 you've got circumstances in your life that, by the way, are spiritual, that have a spiritual, uh, you know, whatever, origin, and you're not acknowledging that, that you, maybe, it's, maybe it's the spiritual realm. And, and in fact, last week, to be honest with you, every time we, Dan can attest to this, every time we come in for worship practice on Sunday morning, something's wrong with something. Like, there's no question whatsoever that, we, we, you know, we set the board up, it's digital, you just press a button and it goes back to the same settings. It's all jacked up, you know, and it's not working right, and there's all kinds of problems going on, and we often remind ourselves, spiritual warfare. Is that just a cliche statement? No, it's a reality. In fact, we were sitting back there last week, and Lori turned to me, and she goes, you know what? This is spiritual warfare, and I hadn't even thought about that. I'm like, yeah, you're right, and then Brian and I prayed about it afterwards, you know, so what I'm saying is, is that we have to recognize these things as they are, as what they really are, what they truly are. A lot of stuff going on in your life is spiritual. Listen, Paul, Remember he was given a thorn in his flesh? Remember the thorn in his flesh? Do you, do you remember what it was? It, he said it was a messenger from Satan. Wait a second. God gave him a thorn in his flesh, but the thorn in his flesh was a messenger from Satan. Why did God do it? So that he wouldn't be conceited. That's what he said. Because of the things that he saw. God, God was using him in such a way that... that the Lord said, I got to keep you humble. And so he used this thing called spiritual warfare as a means to be able to keep Paul in a place that he could still be usable. So what I'm saying to you, Paul prayed three times, it didn't leave him. What I'm saying to you is that it, that, that realm exists in your life. And not just the apostle Paul, it exists in your life. And maybe God's doing something in your life too. I'm not saying that you can command every oppression or, or thing to, to flee and it will. What I'm telling you is that uh, God is in control. He's the Lord over all, and I'm going to trust him in whatever it is that I'm going through, and I'm going to believe that he has my best interest in mind, right? So, so there are these things called authorities that are over people, possessively and oppressively. Thirdly, we find cosmic powers. This has to do with forces that are uh, attempting to keep this world and forces that are working within political systems and governments. Forces that are working within political systems and governments. We see these forces alive and well today, don't we? Do you not see what's going on in our country today? Not just our country, but in every country. Do you not see the enemy taking ground and stripping the world of anything that represents God? Do you not see that? Oh, you can't take a Bible to school. You can't pray in school. You can't take these things into a, a government building. Why? Because these things belong to the, the enemy. He's the, he is the king of this world at this point. Jesus has won it, and he will come and take it back. But until that happens, the enemy is going to fight for every piece of ground. He, he wants this real estate. And so he is, he's working within government system, political systems. There, we, we're seeing people, we're seeing we're seeing sin being legislated, folks. Abortion, drugs, you know, trying to legalize drugs, homosexuality, all of these kinds of things. Why? Cosmic powers that are at work, demonic forces at work within governments, within political systems to continue to propagate 
this kingdom of darkness. That's why. Lastly, we see Paul talking about spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, not to be confused with heaven, not the the heavenly places. It's a term speaking of a spiritual dimension that coexists simultaneously within the realm that we live in. It could also be termed the atmosphere. There is, within the heavens, there is spiritual forces of evil at work. These spiritual forces describe something, listen, that's spiritual but also evil. They're spiritual forces. They are spiritual in nature, meaning there's a spiritual component to it, but it's an evil spiritual component. What am I talking about? Obviously, it's speaking about some sort of religion, uh, you know, false religion, uh, another, uh, you know, false gospels, these kinds of things. It's, it's played out, you know, very clearly in Satanism. But also, we see it also in the New Age Church, Jehovah Witness, Mormons, Buddhism, Zen, Islam, all of these places, there are spiritual forces of evil at work deceiving the world into thinking that this is the religious system that's right. These are spiritual forces of evil. So they're at work in the world to, to deceive the world into thinking that there's another way other than Jesus Christ. And there is no other way. These spiritual forces are the forces at work in our world today that we face. Now, you tell me that you can face that on your own. You tell me that you can stand up against this kind of uh, demonic presence in your natural clothing. You cannot. If you try, you will fail. You will completely and totally fail. So how do we fight the battle then? What do we do? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, listen, to destroy strongholds. There is the capacity within us to be able to, to, to stand against. There, there's weaponry that we have, and it is spiritual in nature that God has given us in order to stand, to, to, to destroy strongholds that the enemy has over your life and people in your family and people that you love. You have power in you to be able to do that. And his name is Jesus. In fact, I was given, uh, um, Josh sent me over this thing uh, earlier this week. Had happened, he didn't even know I was teaching on this. It was a guy named John Ramirez. You can go to his website and check him out, johnramirez.org. But listen, he, he was a Satanist, a priest, and a, a high priest and a Satanist, uh, uh, whatever, religion or whatever it is. And um, he had come out of that in a very, very supernatural way. You can listen to his testimony. It's pretty incredible. But he, he speaks of all this stuff in, in, in First Corinthians cha- or Ephesians chapter 6 here about these different, how organized Satan is and how incredibly at work he is. Do you know, this guy sat there and said, listen, I prayed to Satan from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m. every day. How much do you pray? (laughs) Not to convict you, but seriously. This guy's saying, we can't get people to go to church for an hour, but there is demonic forces at work. There are people praying, committing their lives to this thing, and praying that Satan will have rulership over these various different areas. I mean, you know, this stuff is real. But here's the thing is, the cross is greater. 
And, and, and it was so incredible to hear this guy's testimony of how, how Jesus inserted himself into this guy's life. He wasn't seeking the Lord. The Lord revealed himself to him. He obviously had a choice at that point what he was going to do. He chose to follow Jesus. And now he lives to uh, educate the church on the reality of these spiritual uh, forces at work in our world today. And I'm not saying everything he says is 100% legit. I, I have not vetted the guy to that degree, but what I've heard fits with Scripture. And it's stuff that most people don't ever consider, don't even think about getting in, uh, you know, researching or anything like that. But here's what I want you to know. Today, you have armor for this situation. You have the belt of truth. Six different things that we're called to, 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 to live in. Six different things that we, uh, armaments that we already have through Jesus Christ. Six different character traits that we've been given that we can use to destroy strongholds. Number one, the belt of truth. It, our ability to stand has everything to do with our being properly clothed. And being properly clothed means we have to have the belt of truth. Now, Paul, when he's speaking about a soldier here, he's probably sitting right next to one as he's imprisoned, he's in chains, and he, he's looking at the, 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 the garments of the soldier, and he starts to describe, okay, that soldier, the foundation of the armor of that soldier is the belt of truth. Everything is held together by the belt of truth. You know, it's such a clear picture of what the belt of truth is for you and I. The belt of truth, the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. He is the Word who was made flesh. That is the foundation for you and I. It's a picture of, uh, of the armament. It's a picture of, of our foundation. And we are reminded that we have already put on truth through Jesus Christ. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the truth. There is no truth outside of me. I am the truth. If we've put him on, then we have the truth. We also have his word. We've been given his word, which is truth too, so we can stand upon the word of God, which is truth. When we encounter battles, we stand on the word, such as Isaiah 54, 17, which says this, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord, that is what we stand on, the word. The reality is that with truth also comes what? Freedom. The Bible tells us, you know, John chapter 8, verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We have the belt of truth. We need to use it, Christian. We need to use the belt of truth. Let the word of God be the foundation on which you stand. Secondly, we have the breastplate of righteousness. Every soldier needs a breastplate to protect their vital organs. It is, Paul calls it, a breastplate of righteousness. Is it something that we put on? Is it something that we, we put on and off? No, it's something that we already have through Christ. How are you made righteous? By what you do? No, by who you know. You, you, the Bible reminds us over and over of these things. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself 
with her jewels. Philippians 3.9, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you are in Christ, you, are, you stand before God righteous. You know that? Right now, positionally, doesn't matter what you've done today, you are positionally righteous before the Lord. Why? Because Christ has put his righteousness on you. He doesn't take it back and forth, you know, dependent upon your confession of sin or any of that. It was finished on the cross. And when you bow your knee to Jesus Christ, you are positionally righteous. God sees you as he sees his son. Ephesians chapter, or Romans chapter 5 tells us we were justified. It's just as if you had never sinned. The gavel has been laid down. You are righteous according to the, to, to the Father in heaven. Practically speaking, we're a disaster. Practically speaking, we are a complete train wreck. But positionally, we are righteous in Christ. What does that say to us? We need to walk in righteousness. We have righteousness. We need to walk in it. You've been given righteousness, so walk in it. Act like you're righteous. You know, yes, you're a sinner and you will sin, but listen, you are also clothed with the robe of righteousness, so wear it proudly and utilize that righteousness that you've been given through Christ. Thirdly, we have feet ready with the gospel of peace. He says, you know, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Every soldier needs good shoes. Our shoes are the gospel, which again points us to Jesus, for he is the gospel, and the gospel is our peace. Therefore, listen, did you catch that? Did you catch what I said? He's the gospel, and the gospel is our peace. Therefore, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He told us in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world that gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Listen, you have feet that are fit with the gospel of peace. Not only can you experience peace in your life right now, right, right today in this moment, it doesn't matter what you're going through, you've been given the gospel of peace. And if you receive the gospel of peace and you stand in the gospel of peace, you will have peace. But not only that, every place that you put your feet, you will bring peace. Every place that you put your feet, you will bring peace. That doesn't mean that other people receive it, but as far as you're concerned, you will walk in peace because you've been given peace. Now listen, I'm not going to blow through the rest of this. We're going to do this next week because I don't want to go through each one of these and I don't want to blow through the rest of this and I feel like Maybe there's something more the Lord wants to show us. So we will wait till next week. And we will pick up Philippians the week after. But here's what I want you to understand before we close. And the worship team can kind of come up real quick. Here's what I want you to understand. The battle you face, I don't care what it is that's going on in your life today. It's a spiritual in nature. There is a spiritual component going on underneath the surface of whatever the physical thing is that you're dealing with. You know, and there are forces at work trying to magnify 
the thing that's going on in your life, trying to make it way worse than it is. And if you have kids and it's going on in your, your relationship with your kids, it's because the enemy can influence your kids way, far greater than you can. But not in Christ. Not in the name of Jesus. And so, as I have been doing, I would in- exhort you to do, you, today is the day where we take a stand from the, in the spiritual realm and say, no, I will not allow the enemy power over my life, over my family, over this relationship, over my health, over my, um, you know, my economics, whatever it is. I'm not going to allow the power of the enemy to rule me. What I am going to do is stand in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to allow him to, you know, allow him to win the battle for me. He's already given me the victory. And I promise you, there are spiritual warfare going on in this room so much greater than any of us really realize or even would ever talk to to somebody about, right? But I want you to understand that you have freedom today in Jesus Christ. If you use his name, there is no other name above the name of Jesus. The demons tremble, tremble at the name of Jesus. And what I want you to understand is that Whatever it is that you face, you proclaim the name of Jesus and you take a stand. It doesn't, I told you, he's not going to rescue you out of the battle, but he will see you through the battle. He's going to, he's going to help you to get victory in the battle. It may not come the way that you want it to come, but he will give it to you if you stand in him. So be strong in the Lord. Trust him. Depend on him. Realize that there is no earthly remedy for what it is that you're going through. You have to bow your knees, you got to get on your face, and you have to say, Lord, you got to fight this battle for me. you got to proclaim the blood of Christ over whatever it is that you need to, and you need to stand firm in the Lord, and he will give you the victory. And I'm telling you, I'm doing it, and I'm seeing him do it. And he'll do it in your life. So you stand firm. You don't allow the enemy to rout you because Jesus Christ said it is finished on the cross. He gave you the victory. And listen, you you take that into the world and you tell every single person that you know about it that then the enemy has no power. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning and what an encouragement it has been to me, Lord. I, I have to say that I am so thankful for Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. Lord, you have lit a fire in me. And I hope that that fire has been lit in those here this morning, Lord, that recognizing the spiritual battle that we are in, whether we want to or not, we're in it. We're either fighting against you or we're fighting for you. We're either standing with you or we're standing against you. And you know who it is that is for you and who is against you. And we pray right now, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that is sensing this presence, you know, sensing this, the, the reality of this real battle that's going on and, and recognizing that they have no power to overcome it, that the power lies within the name of Jesus and that all you have to do is call upon Jesus this morning for salvation, maybe for some this morning, to be forgiven for their sins. Lord, would you move in this place this morning? Father, there are those that are battling incredible spiritual battles and are, they're trying to fight them in physical means. 
Would you just give wisdom right now, Lord? Would you help us to recognize? Just instruct us by the Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, what it is that we need to do. How we need to stand strong in the Lord. Clothed in the armor of God. Committing ourselves to prayer this morning, Lord. Will you bring the victory that you've already died to give us today? And help us to receive it, Lord, right now. Right now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name for victory. We thank you, Lord. And we ask your word to continue to produce fruit in our lives and help us to never, ever cower before the enemy, but to stand firm in our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.